Good evening, and welcome to Cinema Death Cult. I'm your host, Adam Bolger. Tonight, I'm discussing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and in a minute, I'm joined by Christopher Wooster and Will Dodson, the co-editors of the new book, American Twilight, the Cinema of Toby Hooper. They're going to help me explore a classic horror film, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and also uh, to look at the work of Texas Chainsaw Massacre director Toby Hooper as a whole. It's a great conversation, and I'm excited to share it. But first, I need to discuss some things that are neither classic nor original. Chiefly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2021 film uh, that's now streaming on Netflix. It's the ninth movie in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, and it's almost the third movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I thought it was the third movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's not. Uh, The Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't say the in the title. It's not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that's appropriate because the new one is blank space. It's empty calories. It's static. It's not really a movie. It's just a sputtering algorithm driven by, um, I don't know, uh, ownership of intellectual property, maybe? I mean, you know, it has no animus. Like, it's it's not trying to say anything or be anything or have any style uh, in doing so. It's got zero authenticity. It's not filmed in Texas. It's not filmed... It was filmed in Bulgaria, of all the places in the entire world. I'm not even sure it features a single Texan. So, um, I'm not going to talk a ton about the 2003 remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, the one that stars Jessica Biel. Uh, I think I've seen it. I tried to watch it recently. Uh, it It's a chore to watch. It's essentially joyless, but at least it makes an impression. Um, I mean, it's not good, but you will remember watching it. Uh, Jessica Biel is in it. Arlie Ermey is in it. Uh, the movie starts at Sweet Home Alabama. It's, it's really grimy looking and dour and there's gore and there's set pieces and stuff uh you know you'll it'll you'll know that you watch something and um that's not true of the new one the one that's on netflix uh that one didn't make an impression on me at all uh it just sort of washed over me um in fact i was uh i couldn't really recall the plot um hours after watching it i remember there are two women in it that looked really similar and it was annoying to me like like i was like why are these women looking so similar and like i think they're supposed to be like different archetypes or something but i couldn't really tell them apart uh and just as a quick aside um us as we live in the age of streaming so the original texas chainsaw massacre is streaming on shutter which is a uh, a horror movie streaming service it's actually really good i'm not the world's biggest horror fan but i highly recommend shutter it's pretty i think it's pretty cheap i think it's like five bucks a month they might offer like a free trial but they have a lot of classic horror movies and other stuff that's uh on there ready to go and um so if you want to watch the original one the original texting is not massacre shutter streaming there 
If you watch the new one, which you shouldn't, uh, it's on Netflix. If you go to HBO Max, um, <laughs> there's a, a movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, and it's streaming on HBO Max. And it uh, that's supposed to be like the, a, the really bad one, but I thought it was okay. I watched it. I thought it was pretty good. It was a pleasant surprise. I mean, people act like it's terrible, but I thought it was better in its reputation. It's not a masterpiece, but it's got personality and verve, and um, it's got bona fide movie stars in it. Um, I mean, Dennis Hopper's in the second one, but this one has um, has uh, Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey right before they got famous. And they're both really good in it, to be honest. And it's also the only uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre to really, like, exploit the um, innate terror of Texas women. Like, the rest of the time, the rest of the movies are all about the terror of Texas men. And they actually have a scary Texas lady in this one. It's pretty fun. But don't watch the new one. Life is too short. It's a trap baited with nostalgia and familiarity. And if we keep watching movies like this, they'll keep making movies like this. And the opportunity, the opportunity cost is just too great because the opportunity cost is that there will never be a new idea. Uh, they make a really grave error early in the beginning of the new movie by showing footage from the 1974 original. So there's this mysterious, eerie imagery comes on. It's like shots of farmhouses and weather vanes. It's old film stock. It's grainy. And uh, there's something like interesting about it and the colors are washed out it feels immediate and evocative um and they cut then they cut to the rest of the movie which is like this very harshly lit shot on digital cameras like netflix streaming style movie and it feels like waking up in the middle of a toothpaste commercial so don't watch it it'll only encourage them to make more but Please listen to my conversation with Will Dodson and Christopher Woofter. That's coming up right now. No, I'm uh, delighted to welcome the co-editors of American Twilight, uh, a book about the films of Tobe Hooper, an academic study. And uh, so first, uh, I'm going to welcome is Christopher Woofter, a professor of English at Dawson College. A horror researcher, editor of the online journal Monstrum, and co-editor of American Twilight, the cinema of Tobe Hooper. Uh, and you can also find his research collections, collaborations rather, at the research hub, thehauntologist.com. And I'm also welcoming his co-editor, uh, Will Dodson, who is the Ashby and Strong Residential College Coordinator at UNC Greensboro, where he teaches film studies. Uh, he's the co-editor, as I've mentioned of American Twilight, which was published by the University of Texas Press. I feel like that, that was all poorly planned and all out of order, but I'm just going to roll with it. Is that okay with you fellas? Great. All right, great. Now, uh, so we're, we are, we've gathered here today to talk about uh, Tobe Hooper, but I want to start with um, just an overview in the background on American Twilight. Tell me about the book, fellas. Mm-hmm. Well, American Twilight started as a as a panel actually at a conference on uh with the pop culture association american culture association conference um that they do annually it's a really huge conference like four thousand presenters and there's a horror area and will and i organized a panel of papers on uh toby hooper's um films and 
uh, it was with, uh, so the two of us, uh, Clayton Dillard and Jerry Metz, who ended up collaborating in the, on the book and contri- contributing to the book as well. And so it kind of was born there. We decided, you know, why isn't there, why isn't there a book on Hooper's work outside of there were a couple of uh, Toby Hooper kind of career spanning books in Italy, uh, one yeah. one in France, but but in in the Anglo tradition, you know, kind of <laughs> where he sprang from, his work was mostly discussed in in essays. Um, yeah you know, very important essays as well to the development of horror studies. But so, yeah, so we decided to look into uh, doing this as a book project and then uh, asked University of Texas Press because it's in Austin and it's Texas and yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. All right. So you said that you noticed that there wasn't a book about uh, uh, about Tobe Hooper. So let me flip that qu- that idea a little bit. Why should there be a book about Tobe Hooper? What about Tobe Hooper's work invites this kind of um, this kind of study? Well, first of all, uh, one of the main reasons uh, we needed a book like this, a comprehensive book like this, is because um, he's so well known, but not well known. Um, and in fact, we should we should gently um, share the uh, the correction that his his name is Toby Cooper. Yes, um, which is another reason we needed a book like this. Um, I've been saying Tobe all my life. A lot of people do. It, yeah, it's, it's an oddly spelled name, but we can confirm it is Toby. Huh. Um, and uh, and uh, you know you've got a guy who's made one of the most or two of the most influential and successful horror movies ever made, um, but has never had a career-spanning um, academic uh, uh, engagement. Um, sure, and, and you're talking about, uh, of course, Invasion from Mars and Life Force. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I'm guessing Poltergeist, correct? Right, and, and, and but that's... Uh, that that actually points to to something that's so great about uh, Hooper is that uh, you know for the for the lifelong fans um, uh, there's there's so much debate so much to engage with he had such a long and and varied uh, career um, that just hadn't been um, really examined um, in, in mainstream film criticism before so this was a, yeah an opportunity you know what's funny so um, I. I think that, you know, I, I think that the, the the one sentence, if people know one sentence about him, it's going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, but it, that feels like an anomaly. That film feels like an anomaly to me for the rest of his work. I mean, do you agree? And uh, how would you respond to that? Uh, I guess Will and I are taking turns. <laughs> sure, whatever you want. That's cool. Um, but, but chime in too, Will. Um, uh, as well but uh no it's not an anomaly for me okay. i mean it's, it's i mean maybe it's an anomaly in the sense that hooper not only made one of the greatest horror films uh but one of the greatest american films um mm. of the 20th century so like that that may be an anomaly in the sense that did he ever make one of the other greatest american films of the 20th century i don't right. don't necessarily know but I, i'm not sure i can make that claim but 
But in terms of Hooper's um, consistent themes and interests and his politics, um, Texas Chainsaw is one of many, and and that includes Poltergeist. I know that there's this controversy around yeah. that, um, although I think that controversy is actually maintained just to keep fan uh, fans talking, um, because it's actually you know i mean there's no controversy on our end but <laughs> okay i'd like to talk about that for sure uh and but i'd like to hold that a little bit yeah. for later um so the re- the my supposition about it well okay tell me about how i'm i'm really intrigued by the what you said about themes and politics that uh are present in texas chainsaw massacre that became a through line for the rest of his films can you talk about that sure uh... You know, this this film comes out in 1974. Yeah. Uh, you'd already had Night of the Living Dead in 1968, Last House on the Left, 1972, um, kind of inaugurating what we'll retrospectively call the, the sort of masters of horror group with Romero and Craig, okay. and then later Carpenter and, and um, uh, Cronenberg, perhaps. Um, but it's also coming out... Um, the same year as Bob Clark's Death Dream and Black Christmas. Um, oh, which, yeah. Which both inaugurated a lot of the elements that would become um, associated with the slasher genre. And uh, along with uh, Last House on the Left, um, Night of the Living Dead, um, and perhaps especially Texas Chainsaw Massacre, really coalesced um, in horror genre um, the... Uh, turmoil, the rage, the disaffection coming out of um, the Vietnam era, the, 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 the sort of post-civil rights era, um, the assassination of um, Dr. King, the, uh, of, uh, of uh, JFK, RFK, mm-hmm. um, the, the violence uh, that was going on in um, America at the time with um, Simply the Liberation Army, the Weathermen, all these acts of domestic terrorism going on. Uh, not that um, it doesn't have a corollary uh, today. Um, then also you have Hooper, who's coming out of an experimental cinema tradition. Um, I think yeah. Joe, Joe Bob Briggs said he was one of two people in the first class of um, film students at, at UT Austin. Uh, was the other Daniel Pearl? No. Um, okay. In fact, uh, according to Joe Bob Briggs, we don't we don't even know who the other person is. So perhaps. Oh, okay. Perhaps they're out there listening and can. <laughs> a mystery. But um. But Daniel yeah, Pearl is yeah. uh, the, his cinematographer, who he worked with on a yeah. number of films, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he's mm-hmm. an Austin guy, right? Right. Yeah, I just want people listening at home to know I wasn't just throwing out random names. Right. Yeah. And so this is this is another period in cinema post post breakup of the studio system where, um, you know, regional uh, filmmakers are, are putting together um, interesting low budget um, uh, films. Yeah. Um, and so Hooper's a local guy who assembles some local talent. And here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were talking about its place in film history and um in terms of the development of horror movies. And I, 
because it would retroactively become like a slasher movie but it predates the original predates slasher movies and in fact it was a very early kind of gore blood movie right there's like movies like blood feast and things like that but this was a different can of worms right I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, you could say that. I, I I don't know that I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a very gory film. That's I, true, I, yeah. I think it's a dread film full of atmosphere and incredible anxiety building and suspense. But I, yeah, you know, there is like, there's a, some pretty incredible illusions of br- brutal violence in the film, like hanging someone on a meat hook, but, you know, right. all done through acting and you know it's like there's no insertion of a of a <laughs> right flash and you know i don't even think is... there's a sound i mean with the version i saw i watched it streaming on shutter and i had remembered that there had like been a like squelch when she gets up on that meat hook but i but there's it, there wasn't a sound when i watched it. i think i just like my mind put that sound in there you know what i mean yeah, it works works to total suggestion. It's interesting yeah. because because the the one thing Hooper takes from gore films, which started Herschel Gordon Lewis in 1964, one thing he really takes from them is Ballyhoo, right? Uh, the title, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, three words that oh yeah, once they're put together, of course, right? They yeah, they everything there is to know about those three words, they go together. Absolutely, one of the greatest film titles of all time. Yeah, yeah. For but, sure. Yeah. But I mean it's of a piece with, you know, Color Me Blood Red or the Gruesome Twosome and in, in, in terms of its lineage, right? It's it's yeah, 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 yeah. Bucket yeah. of blood. <laughs> bucket of blood. You know, but it's it, just like put it all out there. But they, I mean it but they it looks different from those earlier from those other, I guess kind of contemporary contemporaneous films. And I think that's a lot of it has to do with um Tobe Hooper's background he in he I know he did at least one documentary which I watched recently which by the way if you want to talk like a vibe like absolute vibe switch from one movie to another he did a documentary for PBS about Peter Paul and Mary and then he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's crazy it's like whiplash going from those two movies but you can see it was kind of it seemed to be like a run and gun production with not with minimal setups and him just getting a lot of footage quickly taking advantage of natural daylight kind of being a fly on the wall documentarian and there's also just a sense of a great because the i don't want to get ahead of myself but in texas chainsaw massacre there's like a mastery of the use of sunlight now throughout the movie just like the way he catches those sunbeams and stuff and it makes it look real and immediate and it's and it's kind of funny to see that so present in uh uh this peter paul and mary documentary so first walk me down from a ledge if i'm crazy for making a connection here secondly tell me about um how his earlier films what they were and how they influenced texas chainsaw massacre Let's let Chris start with this one because the saga of that Peter Paul and Mary documentary was how it was really the start of this book, and we spent a lot of time in the introduction talking about it. Yeah, it's uh, it, the uh, and in fact, I think like Romero, I think one of the reasons Texas Chainsaw has the look it has and the the kind of uh, maybe the rawness it has in its terms of its kind of documentary ish style is because that's the kind of films Hooper was making they were yeah. you know making um films that that did maximize the the, the location um the, you know things like that the sort of strategies of the guerrilla filmmaker and things like yeah. that 
But there are also things about those those documentaries. And certainly for me, Peter, Paul and Mary is a perfect uh, double bill with Texas Chainsaw because <laughs> of their politics. They're exactly the same. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Because the Peter, Paul and Mary doc, it culminates with I think they're marching. They're, it's a it's a civil rights march, I believe, at the end. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, it, and, you know, it's, you know, people carrying ceremonial coffins through the crowd and you know, this sort of like America's already done itself in kind of feeling is is really there, even though there's a lot of kind of optimism, at least in Mary's comments uh, in the film. But we had a hard time finding that film. It was we, we went through a long process of trying to get access to Peter, Paul and Mary. The song is love. Um, and yeah. But but that, you know, it's now on, on YouTube, but it wasn't when we started the book. And, and yeah. You know, so I'm glad it's on YouTube because people need to see that film. And it's like, but it's also so in terms of like looking at, you know, how Hooper's early films develop, he also made Eggshells, which yeah has a documentary sensibility. But it's also like Texas Chainsaw, like Poltergeist. It's a, it's a, I keep throwing us forward to Poltergeist, but it's an old dark house movie, you know, and, and in one of his experimental films, uh, down Friday Street, um, he makes another kind of weird old dark house movie in this experimental film that shows you, you know, skyscrapers juxtaposed against people tearing, uh, you know, crews tearing down these mansions. And yeah. the Texas Chainsaw has that too, right? This the, the that's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a tale of two houses, right? There's the the, the the decaying mansion that seems to have collapsed in just one generation, right? Because the, these are just the kids coming back to see, you know, uh, the, the the swimming holes dried up, and the, yes. know, it's not a lot of time that's happened that that this is you know gone on, and then they get to the other house, which is another kind of you know victim of uh, where America's going, right? And sort of if you want to see this kind of almost plantation style thing fading which is maybe a good thing uh certainly yeah. and then you know you've got the the kind of chainsaw house or the terror house that is the site of another kind of uh more working class disgruntled um you know product of american you know exceptionalism politics and sure yeah i just i just think that those there's it's so interesting how the there the, the exchange between those films is you know people need to watch them that's on youtube as well down friday street and yeah so so is the heisters i think um yeah i watched the heisters i was gonna bring that up in a second yeah they're all in in conversation with each other and it's not just because of like oh i don't have any money i gotta shoot this way it's it's because of the sensibility that we tried to trace in the book and stuff yeah yeah i mean that's what i was trying to that's the point i was trying to get to earlier is that uh, you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and it's this very documentary style thing. Um, and then it becomes like it was made on, I think the budget, the budget's hovering around $100,000 in 1974 dollars. And then it makes $30 million. And so you'd think that you'd keep running the same play. You would think that you would keep doing these kind of cinema verite kind of horror movies and they would keep hitting in the same way. But Hooper does not do that he doesn't really repeat this style in his subsequent movies. As far as I know, I haven't seen all of his movies, but as far as I know, he doesn't. And it was, so you do have this documentary style, but then you have a secondary thing, uh, which is very expressive, broad acting, particularly among the chainsaw family. Like you have the big dinner at the end 
where they're like, everybody's, um, I was thinking it's like, it, it could be like live theater where they're playing to like the back rows. Cause everybody's like going huge, you know, everybody's going big. And that's something that I think was definitely present in the heisters. Cause then you, so describe, talk about the heisters and, and tell me if you see that connection too. Oh yeah. The, the heisters, um, uh, really is kind of this combo of, um, hammer films, um, a little of the Roger Corman AIP Poe style, uh, and then, you know, Looney Tunes, Three Stooges. Yeah. Yeah. It's together. Um, and it's kind of, it's farcical, right? These, these bumbling, um, uh, criminals, these heisters, um, yeah. get into a war of mutually assured destruction, uh, in their own hideout. Um, yeah. when, uh, you know, when I keep hammering back on the consistency of Hooper's politics, um, this goes back into uh, Chainsaw. You've got the young uh, hippies who are really, at this point, they're, they're too young for the civil rights, the real meat of the movement, and they're, and they're um, kind of stylistic hippies, right? It's yeah. mid-70s, mid um, quaaludes and beer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then they run into you know this the this family that has been left behind by the um, continued push uh, towards um, auto automation and consumerism yeah. and and uh, you know ca capital kind of accruing into urban spaces and leaving these guys to rust and rot. And yeah, the slaughterhouse laid off everybody, right? That's right, right. It. And the and the old yeah. generation eats the new. Yeah, you know, uh, and, you know, there's a connection there to uh, Romero, right? This, this, uh, with Romero, it was a, it was a, new, a revolutionary new generation consuming the old. In Hooper, it's the old consuming the new. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah, you see that in heisters as as these uh, as these uh, buffoons blow themselves up with uh, yes. cream pies and and TNT, like uh, yeah, like get three, three wily coyotes in the same. The same. <laughs> but it's very slickly made too like it's very like you know it looks like it could be yeah like you know you said like like the corman movies because they're all in period dress and it starts like with some like kind of renaissance kind of renaissance fair kind of script and you know it almost could be a, a, I, I don't know not not quite a, an earl a earl errol flynn movie but somewhere somewhere around there like if Errol, like the cheaper version of Errol Flynn, you know what I mean? I almost said Earl Morris, but well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the wrong one. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me throw something in based on, on something you said, and this might pop back up later in the conversation. Sure. You talked about uh, Hooper's style and how it um, uh, seemed to change. I'll quote our friend uh, Stan Giese, uh, who worked on a couple of uh, Hooper films, New Hooper. Uh, and actually just came out with a, a book of his own um, called uh, Smoldering Embers um, about his time working on spontaneous combustion. Anyway, Stan uh, said um, in an interview we did with him, uh, Hooper had no style in the sense that he uh, uh, tailored the style of each film to each film. Yeah, yeah. Each film called for. And I, I, I think that's a pretty insightful remark um, yeah well you see that in funhouse where it's like yeah. there's that incredibly ambitious crane shot in the middle of it 
which I think was like just, it was just a few years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's wild. Yeah. 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 He talked about that. I just watched a, a, like a lengthy interview with him talking about the fun house and, and how, you know, I mean, here's a, here's someone who can work with anamorphic widescreen so beautifully. Like the fun house is possibly his most beautiful film. And if you're classical kind of, you know, lights and and beautiful you know effects yeah it's rich like it's a rich visual experience for sure yeah and he knows how to you know like john carpenter he knows how to use it but does he use it often no i mean because it you know it sort of suits the carnival and that's what he's talking about is like the that he's like i wanted to work with that lens i love it and it's perfect for this film because the 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 setting is the the point yeah 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 then you go from and also a little further into the 80s you got is it invasion from mars or invaders from mars invaders invaders yeah which looks like you know very very um a lot of bold colors a lot of primary colors but it looks kind of like um a 50s movie you know like but like in color you know not colorized but it looks like it has that sort of um blunt you know visual storytelling element and like they keep cutting back to like this one outdoor thing, outdoor vista that looks a lot, you know, you can kind of tell it's a backlot set, but there's a a, a drama to it. There's a storytelling element to it. So I think that definitely supports your point that he uses these techniques in different movies. Uh, like he's you know, using different color palettes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in fact, uh, if it looks like a fifties movie, that's because in some ways it is. It's a remake. Yes. Of it. uh, so, yeah. Um, but uh, a big, a much updated one. Um, yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris writes about that film um, extensively. Uh, okay, and uh, I know he's yeah. got to say about it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have, I have tons to say about it, but it, but it, it, but beyond that, I also think. But one thing I don't talk a lot about, and one of the other contributors in our book does, Ian Olney, is the the kind of dialogue that that film is having with poltergeist which i keep bringing up you know i'm i love poltergeist i'm not like its biggest fan in the world but i don't so i don't yeah. mind bringing it up but it is it is that it, it is one way to kind of say hey you know this film is not an anomaly too right i mean it, it is yeah it, it, hooper's in dialogue with it and sometimes yeah, yeah. not liking it very much <laughs> yeah i want to i want to i want to delay talking about poltergeist again i'm sorry because I, I that's the whole uh i've that's going to be a, a tur- we're, that's going to take a weird bend in the road in this conversation we get to poltergeist in a minute but i want to get back to uh texas chainsaw massacre um and so it's 80 minutes long uh it's and it's so the it's so interesting because i to, I'm trying to explain this this idea. And so I think the movie is so good about training the audience to be patient and look for details in its shots. You know, like so like you have this the first scene where the girl is in the chainsaw house. Uh well first first you have the the flash of um you know Leatherface opening and shutting the door, opening the opening the door, killing guy and shutting the door. You know, so you only see him for a second. But then you have the girl who's like in the house and you're just in that house for a while. You're in that house. The camera is just like looking around at like this 
pieces of chicken, fucking feathers, like, you know, bones, weird furniture. And it just leaves you there. And your mind has nothing to do for a while, but soak up these images, you know, and soak up this atmosphere. And it, it's so effective. Here's a, I'm just going to slip a small point in here and Will, you can talk about this too, but um, the, there's a scene in, um, so in that scene where, where Sally, st- it's not Sally, um, the first, I can't remember her name. Uh, yeah. First victim, she's the Zodiac girl. It's she she falls into that living room literally yeah. falls into it right and and that in the way that scene is shot it's uh, it's edited so that the 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 space itself is giving a performance right so you yeah. so it, you know we're just kind of looking and in that space with her there's a corresponding scene in Invaders from Mars where um, Kit what's his name little kid um, you know sort of Kit Carson's boy. Yeah, Kit Carson's boy. Yeah, it's, the screenwriter of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. It's his son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he stumbles into uh, kind of like a uh, you know like one of those kidnapper vans. <laughs> yeah, and 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 then Pearl, Daniel Pearl, shoots that scene again so that the space is performative. And and there's a really interesting correspondence between those two scenes where. Um, you know, he's this kid stumbles into this van, and the and the space is is all is a horror. It's a monster itself. And in Texas Chainsaw, I feel like space is a monster too. It's all these yeah. you know guys running around in it, but it's it's you know there's a spatial kind of dread to that film that is, uh, and then sometimes it's not. Well, I guess it is dread if you're, you know, looking at where the she stumbles into the living room and she's trying to find where the where the monstrosity is, but it's actually the space itself, right? It's yeah. a symptom of something. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So you think that, you know, just to get back to the politics of it. So does that, aside from just being like effective and being like a thrill ride, you know? like this dread and the sort of sense of being in the middle of the horror. I mean, is there any kind of reading on that? Is there kind of anything uh, that we could take from that in a, you know, in a larger way? Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, like we were saying before, there's, there's this real um, sense of um, uh, disaffectedness, uh, loss, um, um, disillusion, um, yeah, in the transition from, you know, the the um, the sixties to the seventies, and I mean, we're by the time we get to Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, right, which is yeah. straight up satire of, of the Reagan era, um, which you know is kind of the uh, uh, apotheosis of American materialism and uh, consumerism to the point that we're talking about nuclear war in terms of star wars you know right um, but that sex chainsaw massacre too in terms of cultural iconography is very interesting because a chop top because he's almost like the he's almost like the hippies from the original in a way but he's you know in in terms of culture but it's like this he's also a veteran yeah 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 i mean what's going on with that dude yeah well he got he got hit in the head and he he wasn't (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't doing too great to begin with. No, but I mean, uh, right yeah. that, that um, the VA right is, yeah. is funding their whole operation. Right, he, he gets a check. <laughs> he gets a check every month. <laughs> his uh, injury, and that's how 
that's how the Sawyers are able to keep their uh, food truck going. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, maybe winning the, the prize money from the chili competitions, that might, <laughs> that might varnishes. Yeah, a little bit. bit. A what do you think about him as the, like, kind of a cultural figure? I, because I, I, you know, it's so funny to me that Dennis Hopper's in that movie, mm-hmm. um, which, and he's, he's great. I think that he, like, was trying to sleepwalk through his performance, but he has so much charisma and presence that it just, he's just, like, great by, you know, without effort. And, um, but you think of him, of his roles in, like, you know, he was the 60s chattermouth, chatterbox burnout guy, you know, like Apocalypse Now, you know, uh, uh, even in the trip and things like that. And then, you know, obviously he's, um, you know, easy rider, you know, and stuff. But then you have Chop Top, who is like a gross parody of yeah. that kind of Dennis Hopper-esque 60s, uh, you know, chattery character. So, like, what what's going on there? And don't forget that before... Before Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper was a was a bit player in westerns. Always played oh yeah, sniveling henchman, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that iconography. Sons of Katie Elder. Yeah. Right, right. I think that iconography is just as important as his '60s persona in creating this um, this satirical vision of Texas manhood. Right. He's got his yeah. gigantic cowboy hat and his uh, his. Uh, uh, chainsaw sidearms. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and and don't forget also, this was 1986, so he made one other movie that year that was kind of important, uh, Blue Velvet. Yes, yeah, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, those are, those are his two performances for 86. Yeah, my favorite, uh, my favorite Hopper scene in TCM uh, two is. Uh, his when he's testing the chainsaw <laughs> one of the greatest scenes in movies of all time like the way it starts over that marching band like first you hear this music you're like why is there this triumphant music coming in and then you see behind him a marching band going by and just like oh yeah it's so bizarre and so great well it's everybody has before him has done you know they, they've done their nice clean line in that log but by the time he's done with it it's got like no bark on it right <laughs> yeah Sorry, Will, go for it. No, I mean, uh, TCM2, I think, um, really um, is is about American manhood. Uh, Interesting. And it's, the, it's kind of the, the takedown of the, the John Wayne archetype. Of, yeah. Um, uh, Dennis Hopper's sometime co-star, John Wayne, yeah. Of the, of the responsible, civically-minded, but also sociopathic lone gunman, right? Yeah. Who, who tames the West? Uh, <laughs> what ha- what happens when those guys settle down? You know, and, yeah. uh, and all that um, violence and and isolation and um, uh, disaffection. Uh, yeah, don't, don't have anywhere else to go. Um, uh, you know, the, the 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 Dennis Hopper character in particular, Lefty, um, is is um, completely to use the terminology of our times he's unhinged yeah he starts out crazy and he and he ends crazier and he's yeah. and he's supposed to be the hero right like yeah he's got there's this sorry there's an interesting um issue though to, well not though because i'm basically following up will's comment but but of virility right the, obviously the chainsaw being attached to um, the the kind of phallic power and you know a de- you know 
the kind of like, Hey, are we going to, is stretch going to be my date, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but also grand, grandpa, right. Like his, in the, in the earlier film as well, um, you know, grandpa is the best with the hammer, you know, and this kind right. of, you know, but then actually when they put it in his hand, he can't even hold it. Right. So it's yeah. this kind of like, there's a, there's a failure of this kind of, and that we're seeing in these, this kind of generational, um, maleness, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, they're holding on to something and they're holding on to their power to make you uncomfortable and their, their suggestions of violence and things like that. But yeah, um, you know, in the end stretch is up there with grandma um, holding their power. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was thinking about that, the, their power to make you uncomfortable and blithely disregard kind of social um, niceties and stuff. Like when, stretches at the radio station she's chopped up she's like bye bye and he just keeps going oh yeah bye 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 you know so it's sort of like you step out of you're stepping out of society when you when you interact with these people it's very interesting and um and i'm having such a wonderful time and i could i could keep going with this but i don't want to you know take eat up your whole day so maybe um let me let me look over my questions real quick I think we've hit everything. Oh yeah, so let's talk pol- let's talk poltergeist. Let's 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 talk this film. So I stepped into a can of worms the other day on social media. I watched Poltergeist and you see the opening scene and there's this technical mastery of filmmaking uh that it was it's unlike anything like the way that the film kind of shutters in time with the static that's on the television set and it's um the sense of movement in it and I'm like Oh, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg. I don't even like Steven Spielberg that much, but it seemed like the kind of thing that 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 was the product of his hand, right? And so I put that up on my Twitter account. I was like, yeah, clearly this is Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg directed this movie. It, it can't be a debate. And um, out of nowhere, I got blindsided by all these people who must have like Google alerts for Steven Spielberg directed Poltergeist because I had like five people jumping down my throat like no and they're sharing like screenshots of um, old newspaper articles and stuff and I was like I I mean they they didn't know who they're dealing with so you know I'm like all right bring it on buddy I welcome your hatred come on let's do this let's fucking have fun man but then uh, but it was very interesting to me so yes that's my that that's where I'm starting from this i feel like that's more of a steven spielberg film and uh wh- what's your reaction to that well spielberg co co uh had a, had a writing credit on it and yeah it. so but but keep in mind that what's really happening is that toby hooper's getting a spielberg budget yeah it's true um that that opening sequence you talk about look at peter paul and mary look at um, some scene, some of the scenes even from eggshells, um, and look at other treatments of suburbia that um, that Hooper um, you know, did subsequently, and yeah. it, it's hard not to see it as Hooper kind of twisting the Spielbergian vision of of suburbia that you might see on something like ET. Yeah, I know, I know Chris has plenty to say too. Yeah, I feel like it's death metal ET. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I have, I have plenty to say. I mean, Spielberg's making ET at the same time um, yeah. as, as Poltergeist, and you know, as a as a exec producer and a writer, um, certainly Poltergeist is going to have 
some Spielbergish, uh, you know, features things, but but it you know if you look at um, the way that Hooper works with home and family. Um, and the way that home and family is always built on a fault line in Hooper's films. And that's not, that doesn't start with Poltergeist. That starts with Down Friday Street and Eggshells. Eggshells is about a hippie community whose house is haunted. I mean, you know, yeah. like, I mean, Poltergeist has hippies in a haunted house too, or are former hippies or wannabe hippies or, you know. Yeah, yeah, because they're smoking weed and reading the Reagan book, right? So yeah. Yeah. Reagan, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, reading the Reagan, that's, it's hilarious. But it's, but, you know, poltergeist for me and then you pr- project that forward and you get this constant concern with with this you know uh where home and work combine like in mortuary or uh toolbox murders right and and you so it's like people are trying to you know kind of combine family and and home and safety with their jobs um Stephen Freeling is a real estate agent he lives mm-hmm. in one of his own houses you know like and then you you have what I think is kind of like the classic Hooper mo- some of the moments in Poltergeist are when we're kind of standing in a graveyard staring at a, a graveyard that's made to look decidedly way older than it really could be in California yeah. Um, that looking down at the other little boxes as you know the song yeah. it. Um, and and it you know like <laughs> yeah. those kinds of things for me like you know culminating in a film like maybe like Mortuary where you know literally your home and business is a mortuary um, it, it, it to me that that puts Poltergeist just right in line with a long kind of statement that is and you know like he he worked with initially they wanted to make something like uh a, a kind of horror version of close encounters and it was going to be um yeah and things like that and then yeah. you know another person we got in touch with who helped us find the peter paul and mary doc julius banzon he um has a he runs the toby hooper appreciation society website and that's like an absolutely great resource for you know, looking at older script versions and comparing scenes. And he has like a longer version of um, Invaders from Mars on there where the, the opening scene is extended. But he also has a treatment for Poltergeist written by Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg called It's mm-hmm. Nighttime. And, you know, it's early, it's brainstorming. And it's not, you know, not a lot of it manifests in the final vision or whatever but yeah they were collaborating right and and you know it really comes down to that one fucking news article you know where you get this journalist popping on set seeing spielberg shooting some some second unit footage and says like oh spielberg's directing this film boom it goes out and then you know our friend uh stan geezy who's who worked with hooper has said you know every time people ask Cooper that question who directed Poltergeist his face just fell yeah like because he's just like are we still talking about this you know I mean yeah. and I'm not saying we shouldn't but yeah. at some point we should stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well I how's that for firm <laughs> that was great that was terrific all right case closed all right yeah. the, um okay, so uh one last thing and I know Chris, you haven't seen the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on uh, Netflix. Have you, did you get a chance to look at it, Will? You know, I do not begrudge filmmakers for making the films that they can get greenlit, but I 
recognize that life is very short and I'm very choosy about the way yeah. I spend my hours. So, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there, there, there are three movies that are called with the title, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre now. And it's, this one is by far the worst. I didn't think that the sec, I didn't think that the, the Jessica Biel remake could have been undercut, but that one, that looks like fucking citizen Kane compared to this one. Jeez. But, uh, uh, you're, you're correct. You don't waste your time. I don't want anybody to watch this movie. Uh, I'm leading with it because I, I talk about it in a different segment because, you know, it's, that's the new movie. Um, the, that was like the new big movie, but, uh, the, the movie early on, they do it. It's such a disservice by showing you footage from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's, it's the w- worst miscalculation they could have made. It's like those beautifully framed images of like the, the farm and stuff. And they cut to like this Netflix overlit, you know, boring movie shot in Bulgaria. It looks like a, like a toothpaste commercial or something. Uh, it's horrible, but yeah, I, your instinct was correct uh, to skip it for sure. It's, it's tough to go from you know that period of time where writers and directors really had the the freedom to make the films they wanted to within the budgets they could get to these films that are that are made by algorithm. You know? Yes, yeah, it's a it's a tough transition. Um, yeah, it's sort of like you can hear the pitch where someone's saying like, "How can we combine TCM with Bird Box?" You know, like, the, <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? So yeah. Just, well, you know, um, I'll throw this out there for Toby Hooper completions. Read his novel, Midnight Movie, which um, came out in 2012, 2013, co-written with Alan Um, It really predicts the rise of um, troll culture um, on, on Interesting. what was then a still developing uh, internet. And... Um, you know, if uh, if Hooper were still around today and and uh, writing a second edition of the book or, or a follow up, I'm I'm certain that um, streaming services would be um, uh, part of the, part of the mix. It's really, it's really quite a good quite a good novel. That's terrific. All right, fellas. So the book is American Twilight: The Films of Toby Hooper. Is that correct? Cinema of Toby Hooper. Yeah. Cinema of Toby Hooper. There That's you go. great. And since you're holding that up to the screen, uh, I was gonna. Would it be okay if I used video from this as well yeah. as audio? That'd be all right. That's why I got dressed up. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I, I thought this. I thought home. this whole thing was gonna be on video. <laughs> oh, okay. No, well, I mean, it's an audio podcast, but you know, I have video oh. capabilities. Yeah. No, it's yeah. terrific. Yeah, I hope you're uh, all right. Well, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, and um, good luck. Maybe I'll reach out to you again when I. Uh, when I cover Life Force. Oh, please oh, do. Please do. <laughs> we, got, we got plenty on that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Take care.